These in your word that outline instead of an outline is what I'll be talking about today. I would appreciate you following along and if you're watching by live stream or by television, then it will be on the screen and you can see what the people in the room are seeing. We're continuing this in the series on the 12 steps for us all, knowing of course that the phrase, the 12 steps, is these actual steps originated in the world of recovery, but believing that they are rooted in scripture and in the Jesus way of life. We're believing that this is a good program of Christian discipleship of spiritual maturity. We began by admitting that we have a problem deep within us that's woven into our DNA. The Bible calls in Romans 7 a sin nature. It's something we cannot overcome on our own. We admitted that in the next week. We acknowledge that there is one who can. There's power and grace are sufficient for even our deepest, most profound behavioral and attitudinal experiential problems. And then we, we chose to place our hope, we, not only our hope, but our surrender. We, we surrendered our wills are placed deep within us from which decisions arise. We, we surrendered our wills to God. And then we made a moral inventory. We looked back and were very honest about our moral failures, the ways we messed things up, the way we've hurt people. And a lot of us, at least I hope, actually wrote it down. And then we, we confessed that. We came clean to ourselves. We were honest with ourselves. We were honest with God. And we were honest with another, another human being. And all that we've done to this point has been building toward this day, toward step six and seven. They are combined often in the study of the 12 steps, so I'm going to combine them today, and I think you'll see you'll see why. There's an entire book about these two steps, steps six and seven, and it's titled, Drop, Drop a Rock. And here's the story from which that begins with this story, is from which the title comes. So there was a group of folks in the 12 steps program that were on a boat, and they were sailing to the island of Surrey. But there was a, a lady named Mary who wanted to be on the boat, but she had missed its departure, and she came running down uh, on the dock. And because she had missed it sailing, she jumped into the water and began to swim towards the boat, carrying these people on the 12 steps from to the island of Surrey. Well, the people on the boat saw Mary, and they cheered for her. Mary, uh, come on, Mary, swim. And Mary tried. She swam with all she had, but she was kept being pulled under. She came back up after the first time, and the people on the boat realized what the problem was, and they yelled out to Mary, Mary, swim, Mary, drop the rock. Mary didn't know what they were yelling about, and so she continued to swim with all her might, and the boat was getting slowly farther away. And she went under the second time, and the second time. And she came, and she came back up. They were yelling, Mary, drop the rock. Don't be silly, Mary, drop the rock. And she noticed that she had this weight around her neck, a rock attached by a rope that was wrapped around her neck. And she went down the third time. And she came back up, desperate now. She had the gift of desperation. And so she cried out to the heavens, God, please remove this rock now. Please take the rock. And she reached up and she picked up, but she was able to untangle the rope from her neck and the rock dropped to the bottom of the body of water. And she swam to the side of the boat and pulled her in. They applauded, they congratulated, they celebrated that Mary had gotten on, Mary had gotten on board. Mary turned around and looked in the direction from which they had sailed back toward the dock and saw something bobbing in the water, noticed that it was someone else who must have wanted desperately to get to the boat. And Mary was the first one to call out. Hey friend, drop the rock. And the writer dropped the rock. I have a quote. This one your outline explains the rock. The action of the sixth and seventh steps culminates in dropping the rock. All the stubborn, grasping, stupid, holding on to old patterns of behavior, thinking and feeling that are harmful to our progress in recovery. Look with me at the step with me. Step six from AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. We were entirely ready to have God remove all those defects of character. Step seven from AA. We humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. By the way, don't forget the power of we. We're not in this alone. It's we. It's we. It's not I. Now, there's the biblical principle for us all, believing that this is a good program of Christian progress, of maturity, discipleship for all of us. The biblical principle for us all. We decided there is a better way of living than being weighed down by our sinful thoughts and behaviors. So we readied ourselves and humbly asked God to clean us up. Now, let's not get confused when it says ask. It doesn't mean this is one and done. It doesn't mean we're finished with this. this is, all these steps are those things we are serious about. This will do until we breathe our last breath. And here, on your outline, 
mercy that not in texts from the Bible. Psalm 51, 1 and 2, have a mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, your blood had my transgressions, and wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Romans 6, 21 and 22, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sins and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Then Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and descends and so easily entangles. All the steps we've been doing is built up to this day. It's, it's fish or cut bait. It's go big or go home time. It's time to decide if we're going to listen to a series, if we're going to listen to a series of interesting steps, or are we, or are we really going to change? Step six and seven sound a lot like the, to me the story of the prodigal son. Remember, he, he squandered, his, squandered his, his blessing from his father, and he went to a far country, lived a life of debauchery, and ended up in a, in a pen, and having to eat what the pigs eat. And this, Jesus tells us the story in, uh, in Luke 15, and then in verse 17 of Luke 15, the Bible says he came to himself. Now, a moment of clarity, this moment of self-awareness, where he dawns on him. This is not exactly what I planned, and he figures this is not it's the best life for me. It's not what my father would want for me. It's not what my creator would want for me. He realizes he comes to himself, and then verse 23 verses later says he got up and went home. It's kind of like verses are step six to seven. Step six is a moment of clarity. It's realizing this is not what I want. Then step seven is, is when we actually pray that God will remove our shortcomings, that we will change. Let's break down these two steps. Follow along on your outline, please. First, in step six, it says we, it says we ready to ourselves. Let me ask you a question. I don't want you to answer it out loud. I didn't want you to answer, though, privately and silently. Would you answer this question? What is the first thing you do when, in order to get a new car? So you're going to get a new car, right? What's the first thing you do? Think about it. Think about it. Articulate in your own mind. What is the answer? What, what is the first step from getting a new car? Did you say, I, um, I go on the Internet to look? Or did you say, I go to the dealership and walk around? Both of those are wrong answers. The right answer is you get done with your own car, right? Joe McHugh wrote a book about the 12 steps, and he's where I first heard that question. My, my thought was, I go on the, I go on the internet, and I look around for cars. But, but see, if you decide, you know, if I, if I can put new tires on it, I might get another couple of years out of this old jalopy. Then you're not going to get a new car. If you think, if I get this one thing up, it'll probably last another 10,000 miles. You're not going to get a new car. The first step in deciding I want a new car is to say, I'm done with the old one. And if we're going to experience spiritual transformations, then the first step is deciding, this is not the best for me. This is not, everything in my life is not as it should be. There are things that are less than what my Creator would want for me. So first we, we're ready ourselves. So let me ask you a question. Are you ready? Do you want a new life? Do you want a healthy life, a healthier life, a more serene life, a more fulfilled life? It's not a silly question. Jesus asked my man at the pool of Bethesda, do you want to be, well, he was been crippled 38 years. People all around the pool of Bethesda were lying there. People were lame, crippled and blind. This man had not walked in 38 years, and Jesus asks what appears to be a silly question. Sir, would you like to be well? But maybe it's not a silly question. Maybe he had grown accustomed to the familiarity and to the camaraderie around the pool. The first step in getting well was saying, sir, I'm a little nervous about this. I know it's going to require some new responsibility for me, but, but yes, sir, with all I have, I want to be well. So the question is, do you want to be? Well, some people don't want to be well. They don't want to change. They like their rocks. They may be uncomfortable. They may be weighing us down. But, you know, we know something about the familiarity of our lives. So the first question is, do you really want to be? Do you want to be well? Step six says, I, I ready myself. I'm done with the old car. And I pray that God will remove my shortcomings. Then step seven, follow your outline. We humbly ask God. That word humbly is important. Humility is often misunderstood. But they get it in the world of recovery. There's a beautiful phrase in Alcoholics Anonymous that describes humility. It is this, right, sized, R-I-G-H-T dash S-I-Z-E-D, right, or correctly, sized, sized. Meaning we don't think of ourselves as entitled or superior. We don't think of ourselves as helpless and worthless. We are 
right size. So some of you have done this moral inventory. You've written those things, that, those things, moral failings, ways you hurt people, ways you mess things up. And some of, some of us have come face to face with some things that we're really ashamed of. And maybe we've been somewhat deflated. Maybe after doing that moral inventory, if you were really honest, you might be feeling rather hopeless and worthless. On the other hand, if you didn't, if you were honest on that inventory, or if you did your inventory, and you think your inventory is better than most folks' inventory, you feel like you're like kind of spiritually snobbish, snobbish. Kind of like the story of the publican and the sinner that Jesus told him to the temple, told me to went to the temple to pray. One of them beat his chest. God didn't just to me the sinner. The other, the publican, which means a tax collector, looked down over there, down his nose, and his prayer was, his prayer was, Lord, I'm mighty thankful that my, my moral inventory was a whole lot better than this. So now you're feeling that. Here's on the one hand, if you have the moral inventory, some of us may be feeling hopeless and worthless, and some of us may be feeling kind of, kind of spiritually elitist. Neither one of them is right. Both of them are lies of the devil inside. To be humble is to have a reasonable view of ourselves. Neither elitist nor defeatist. To be humble is to says, I won't, I won't pat myself on the back, but I also won't beat myself up. I won't puff myself up, but I won't put myself down. I won't put myself up on a pedestal, and I won't throw myself under the bus. It's like those three wonderful rules that I told you about before. The kids had a club. They said we need three rules, and this was their rule. These were their rules. Number one, nobody act big. Number two, nobody act small. Number three, and everybody act medium. Medium is humility. It's not acting big. It's not acting big. I'm not better than everybody. I'm not worse than everybody. I'm just me. It's a it's a realistic view of ourselves. So we humbly, not feeling superior or inferior, we humbly, a reasonable view of ourselves, ask God to clean us up. It's your outline. Means straight away our stuff down to the image of God. Uh, that, that book I mentioned a while ago about the, the guy who wrote about the used car and the new car, you know, his pen name is Joe McHugh. And he read his book about the 12 steps. He, he said that when he, he moved into his new office this week, there was an old rocker that the previous occupants had left an old rocker there. And it was old and beat up, and ugly and painted in ugly dark colored paint. His colleagues were worried to throw it out. In fact, they did. He went down to the, went down to the, to the dumpster twice and brought it back up to the office. He was just interested in that rocker. One day he took a close look at the rocker and the rocker. And so he, he got some. Whatever you use to strip paint, I don't do a whole lot of paint stripping. So he got whatever you use to strip paint, and he stripped all that old, dark, beat up paint off the rocker and rocker. And underneath, underneath was this beautiful, solid, most elegantly beautiful rocker. Joe McHugh said it was there. It was all the time. That chair always has been beautiful since the day the guy made it. And that's the way I am. He said, and you are with God's life inside us. God made us this way, beautiful and this valuable. The Bible describes spiritual transformation as discovering and uncovering. The image of God inside us. Look at your outline. Two verses. Talking about spiritual transformation. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're being transformed into God's image. Genesis 1, Genesis 1, the Bible says God created us in his image. It doesn't make us gods. It means that we bear the imprint of a hint of God's nature, his character, his desires. There is the imprint of the Almighty inside us all. It just gets covered up by layer after layer of bad decisions. But Travis, the Bible says this, and you said, dude, we have a sin nature. We have this problem inside us. We can't fix it. And part of the complexity of being a human, part of the complexity of being a human is that inside us is both. Both this sin nature woven invisibly into our DNA, the overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing that I can't fix anymore than I can fix my height or my hair color. Wait, I meant the other way. My eye color, I can fix my hair color, but I'm talking about my... In fact, I've heard there are people do, but anyway, that's... Uh, I can't fix my eye color. I can't change my eye, I can't change my eye color. And I can't fix that. I can't fix that. Overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. To do the wrong thing. And, and I bear the imprint of the creator. creator. What, a, 
a strange experience it is to be a human. It is to be a human. So spiritual transformation is getting down to, to that imprint of the divine, of the divine in all of us, and, it, and believing that the imprint of the divine is there. Step six and seven are not about me changing myself. We, we cannot self-control our way out of our sins. We can't just decide that we're going to change. Step six and seven are about deciding I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to drop my back to drop the rock. Rock. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm done with my old car. And I want to. I want a new one. As I want a new one. As it were. I, I want to be made whole. I want to be made whole. No longer am I willing to, to go on with life at its best. No longer am I willing to live a life that is life that is beneath that which that which my Creator intended for me. For me. Step six. Step six is about being ready. About being ready. And step seven is about is about sincere prayer. God, clean me. Clean me. Purify me. Purify me. Search me and make me clean. Clean. I can't do it myself, but I, I have to ready myself. I, I can't do this on my own. And there's a quote on your outline. Drop the rock. Rock. I can't ask God to help me overcome my desire for potato chips when I'm finishing off another bag. I can't ask for help if I'm not willing to be helped. I've got to do my part in order for God to do his. But ultimately, ultimately, I can't fix my most profound problem. I was born in Louisville, Mississippi, on October 11, 1948. With one arm that has a hand with three fingers, and one leg with a foot that has four toes, or three if you count the two that are fused to this one. The leg has no knee, but is a calf joined at the hip. The other arm goes only for the elbow, there is no other leg, just a hip. Many of you, if you were here on Thursday, know that that comes from page one of Roger Keane's autobiography titled Bumblebees Can't Fly. It's titled Bumblebees Can't Fly because, as you probably have heard, bumblebees have little zebby wings and big old bodies and big old bodies. You look at them, you think they, they can't fly, but they did. Roger spent 74 years doing things that he wasn't supposed to be able to do. From chores on the family farm to sports, to a full career, to graduation from Mississippi State, to a major role in our church, including being chairman of the Deacons during the interim with Roddy Kane, having a wonderful family, including eight grandchildren. And we lost Roger just a, like, over a week ago. And on Thursday in this room, we mourned his loss and we celebrated his life. Hundreds of people over the last eight or nine days have watched the interview that I did with Roger. Mainly, I just, I just put it on the team, but he knocked it out of the park. He was sitting right over here. And we had, we had talked to him. We were in my office when I had this idea. He was telling me about the story of his life. That morning, I talked about being fearfully and wonderfully made. And I don't know who better to illustrate that than Roger. So I just, I just asked Roger a couple of questions, or he took off. And told us all those stories about the farm and the sports and the sports and the life, the family and the family. And then I said, Roger, the last time we talked, you told me there's one thing I cannot do. Would you tell these people? What is that one thing I cannot do? And Roger looked at you all and he said, one thing I cannot do. I cannot save myself. myself. So God, so God saved Roger from a life of self-pity, molded him into an inspirational human being, and then promised him forever in his presence in a place beyond our imagination is called heaven. Roger knew he, he couldn't be good enough, he couldn't be inspirational enough, he could not save himself. When he was young, he, he, he trusted his life for here and forever, here and forever, not to his own goodness not or to his goodness, but to the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus. And then, just over a week ago, a week ago when in the intensive care unit or cardiac care unit at the Huntsville Hospital, Huntsville Hospital, Roger Dale Keene breathed his last breath on planet Earth. At the moment that he was absent from his body, his body, he was present with the Lord. He couldn't have done that himself. Roger would want you to know that. He would want you to know that Jesus can. 
whatever was on your moral inventory, whatever is in the bank of shame into which you continue to make deposits. Just as you are, flaws and scars, bad moral inventories and all. The Lord Jesus can save you from here, and he can save you, he 